This month, we're talking all about mental health and screens. And I've been thinking a lot about this idea of what to do when we're feeling restless, when we're just sitting alone with our thoughts. And I'm really excited because we have a special guest on the podcast today, and she is a certified life coach, and she specializes in helping moms specifically cut the hours that they're spending on work in half so that they can be the kind of mom that they always want to be. Do you ever find yourself turning to your phone without even thinking about it? Or do you get sucked into scrolling and regret not using that time for something else? You are not alone. I'm Alex, a screen time mentor for young moms, and I'm here to help you get a grip on your own screen time so you can be present, intentional, and live a more fulfilling life. Welcome to the Mindful with Media podcast. Welcome, and will you introduce yourself a little bit, Leslie? Hi, yeah, I'm so excited to be on here. I'm Leslie, and I'm a mom of four. My kids range in age from eight down to one. And we actually just recently packed up everything we owned and moved to New Zealand just for the adventure for three years. So we are living out our dreams right now and having so much fun with that. But none of that would have been possible had I not simplified and gotten really intentional with what our things and our house looked like before we ever wanted to leave. And part of that process as I was going through it was realizing the difference between when we're in our thinking brain and when we're in like our feeling brain or if experiencing our emotions in our body. So I'm naturally a very cerebral person. I'm like very critical thinker. I love to process things in sentences and words in my head, but it wasn't until I was introduced to this work through life coaching that I realized how important our emotions are in our lives and in the big scheme of things and the interaction between our thoughts and our emotions and how you really need to have both in sync in order to create whatever you want to create in your life. That is so cool. And it's really cool how I think I just hear like, well, that's so cool. She moved to New Zealand, but that your, your experience with being a life coach and the certification process to, to get there has impacted you to even have that be possible. I would have never made that connection. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I mean, as you can imagine, the logistics of pulling off an international move is just ridiculous. So there was a lot of the thinking and the critical thinking, like I mentioned, but also there's so much emotional processing that had to happen, right? Because it's a very emotional process to go through everything that you own and decide what's staying with you. What are you leaving behind? The emotions of saying goodbye to people and trying to imagine what your new life's going to be. And like, you have to be addressing both of those at the same time in order to like healthily move through the process. So even though you may not be planning a large international move like that, the same principles still apply to the smaller problems that you may have in your life or the smaller decisions that you're trying to make. So my recommendation would be always look at not only the logistical side of things and what makes sense logically, but also being able to check in with your emotions and see like, okay, how is this feeling? What sort of emotion do I want to be driving me through this experience? Because that can change the entire experience. You may be doing the same things, but if you're coming from it from a different emotional place, totally changes how you experience everything. That's fascinating. So there's two two sides to it. There's like the logistical thing and then there's also the, the emotional part. So yeah. how does that apply specifically to our emotions and our tendency to avoid our emotions. Something that I've noticed is that 
our generation in general is getting a lot better than previous generations were about being aware of mental health and being aware of how important our emotions are. But we still really don't even have the tools to feel our feelings. We talk a lot about it. Like we just need to feel our feelings. We just need to sit with them. But if you've ever tried to do that, like it's kind of miserable, right? Because we just don't have the tools for it. We've never been taught how to do it. So usually what we do instead of feeling our feelings is we'll do one of three things. We'll either resist them and just be like, nope, like I'm fine. I'm patient. I'm happy. This is not a big deal. And we'll just sort of like, it's like, imagine a a balloon floating along a pool and you're like pushing the balloon under like, nope, I'm not feeling this right now. It's not happening. And usually we do that for a while, but there's only so many times we can push that balloon under before it just pops up twice as high. And that's when we end up reacting to our emotions. So first we'll try to resist and then that peters out and then it will explode and we'll react. And that's when we like snap at our kids or we'll start yelling or we'll just get frustrated or third option. We will avoid our feelings. And that usually looks like distracting ourselves a lot of times with our phones because it's the endless distractible machine. Right. So, so accessible, right. It's just right. So there. Easily accessible. And like, like you said on an earlier episode, I was listening to recently, like you never run out, right? Like it's one thing to turn to a book. You could avoid emotions by doing that, but eventually the book's going to end. Right. Or sometimes people avoid their emotions by going out on a run. And that's like a healthier option, right? Because eventually <laughs> your body's going to get tired. And then you also get like the natural endorphins that come from that. So it's not to say that like, you should never avoid your emotions or you should never try to resist them. We're always going to turn to one of these things, like the, either the resisting or the reacting or the avoiding, but just to understand that these are not long-term solutions. It's sort of like a band-aid solution. And eventually it's going to pop back up. It's so cool hearing you talk about these things. And I can think of like specific ways that I, I resist emotions, even if it seems good. Right. I, th- I think of that song, when you chance to meet up frown, do not let us say quickly turn it upside down. And it's like, is that really what I want to be doing? Like, do I really yeah. want to just like force a smile on my face? <laughs> yeah. I actually have that song and like, I have it in a little book for my kids. And every time I see it now, I'm like, I don't know about that one. Like, I'm not sure I want to pass that on to my kids because yeah, like again, like previous generations, they didn't know any better, but that was the general consensus, right? It was like, you just need to be happy all the time and you just need to be grateful and pleasant and like just service oriented, which has its place. But if you're doing it at the expense of your own mental health, because you're not addressing the negative emotions, then it's not benefiting anybody in the end game. So yes, we want to go after positivity and those feel good feelings, but the way to do it is to feel through the negative ones. It's not to resist the negative ones. It's not to banish them to some corner of the world you have to go through the negative ones in order to reach the positive ones again. Hmm. So the fourth one, which is the healthiest option is to feel and process emotions instead. So like I was kind of alluding to our emotions want to be listened to, right? It's sort of like the little tiny child that's inside of us. It's like, mom, 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 no, like you need to listen to me. Like I need to tell you something. And so if we're constantly resisting them or avoiding them or ignoring them, they're going to get louder and louder and louder until they feel like they've been heard. And we want to hear them because our emotions are communicating really valuable information to us. So we want to listen and not drown them out. And as I was thinking about the emotions that I experienced right before I turned to my phone, the three that came up for me were loneliness, overwhelm, and boredom. So I wanted to walk through those three and kind of show you at least what it looks like for me. 
what I try to do instead to solve for that problem instead of just buffering away with my phone. So that first one, I find myself turning to social media when I'm feeling lonely. And this is coming up for me a lot right now because I just moved to a new country, right? And so I'm trying to like make new connections, establish my community, make new friends. So when I'm at home and my kids are doing whatever, and I just kind of feel this twinge of like, oh, where are my people? Like I'm feeling kind of lonely. I'll pull up my phone. I'm like, oh, I'll go check in on my people, right? We've got Instagram. Like I can go see anyone that I've ever known ever in my life and check in <laughs> on them and just deep dive rabbit hole their life for the last six months, right? So in this case, our emotions are telling us that we're lacking some human connection. So we can scroll all day long, but we're never going to satisfy that need unless we actually go get some real human connection, right? For the generation before this, I think it manifested as like always having the TV on. Like I had friends where I'd go to their houses and their mom would just always have like some random show in the back of just like a talk show or reality show. She wasn't even really watching it. But just having other adult voices in the house and just having something else going on made her feel connected when in ways where she couldn't when she was stuck at home. And for us, I think we do less of like the random shows and more of a specifically curated to us connection through our phones. So that's why it's so compelling is because we want that human connection. So what you can do is solve for the connection instead. So set up a get together with a friend, call a family member, like you can still use your phone for true human connection, but two ways, usually a little bit more fulfilling than just one way. Right. So call family member. I love Marco Polo. I'm on that all the time or go somewhere where you can meet someone new. Now, the problem with all these things is that it's a lot harder than just opening your phone, right? Like it requires you to go out and find somebody and be vulnerable and put yourself in an uncomfortable situation. But that's the price that you have to pay in order to fill that human connection need. You, so it's it, almost like you have to face another uncomfortable emotion. Like you're feeling this uncomfortable emotion of loneliness. The easiest thing is to turn to your phone, open social media, but that doesn't really satisfy. But yeah. then in order to actually satisfy, you have to feel another uncomfortable emotion, whether that's like, yeah, whatever effort that takes the vulnerability to actually yeah. get that, that real need met. Exactly. But it's, it's the difference between like putting a bandaid on a broken arm versus going into the doctor and getting it reset and cast. Like yeah. the social media is, Oh, my arm's broken. I'll just slap a cute bandaid on it. It's like, yes, but like the problem's still there and it's going to take extra effort. Like you gotta get in the car, you gotta drive to the doctor, you gotta sit in the waiting room forever. Then you get it addressed. And it's a very similar thing here where it does take those extra steps. But the beauty of it is it it's in those extra steps that makes the experience that much more valuable to you because you've put in the work to get there. And so when you do get that human connection met, it's going to sit and land so much stronger for you than if friends were just like delivered to you on your doorstep and they just walked in and connection. And I also think of like the analogy of like a baby who's hungry and wants to feed. You can give them a pacifier for a little bit to hold them off. You know, they'll suck for a little bit and it will calm them down for a little bit, but it's not actually going to meet that need to eat yeah. what they need to feed. And so like social media, it can pacify that emotion for a little bit, but eventually you really need to eat food. You really need to connect with real people. Yeah. There's a quote that I always think of, and I need to find who said it so I can properly attribute to them. But the idea that you can never get enough of that, which does not satisfy you. So you can go on scroll all day long and you'll, you'll always feel like you're on the cusp of like, okay, this is enough. Like this is full, but you'll never make it there because it's not actually meeting that connection need for you. 
So our second emotion is the overwhelm. So turning to social media, turning to our phones when we're feeling overwhelmed either by our house or by our kids. And I don't know about you, but for me, this is always like the hour right before dinner, right? Like kids are back home from school. Everyone's hungry. You're trying to stave them off from the pantry so they'll actually eat the dinner. And you're trying to coordinate, like pulling the stuff out of the oven on the stovetop and they're doing homework, like just all the things, right? 100%. I find myself turning to my phone, which is the literal last time I should be turning to my phone, right? Like I cannot handle any more stimulation, but my brain's like, I got an idea. How about we add more stimulation? Like, let's take one (laughs) of your hands away and feed you a bunch of more information and sounds and sights. It's just so funny how our brains think that they can solve our problems like that. So in this case, our emotions are telling us that we are lacking resources or we have too many demands or in the case of dinner, probably both, right? Like we don't have enough resources and we're having too many demands in our time. Mm-hmm. So even though it initially distracts from that discomfort, getting our phones out, turning our phones actually adds another demand on our attention and it makes it worse. And I've noticed that when I put my phone away, I instantly double my capacity to filter through that noise and chaos mm-hmm. to be the kind of parent I want to be. And again, it requires you to do extra hard work. So it'd be so much easier just to throw on you know, a headphone and you can kind of like half see scroll on the side while your kids are tugging at your leg and you're stirring the pot or whatever, but it makes it harder for ourselves, but it's so sneaky because it feels like a little indulgence. It feels like a little treat, right? Like, oh, this is really hard. I'm just going to check in real quick. Just give myself a little, how, how would you say it? Like take some of the edge off. Like I'll just get on social media to kind of calm myself down a little bit, but it actually makes it worse, but you don't feel it until you put it away. So watch yourself on that one because your brain is sneaky. It's going to try to get you to believe that this is the good option, but it's actually making it worse for you. What was the quote about too many demands and not enough resources? That's what it was, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you either have too many demands or you're lacking resources or a combination of both. So what do you do instead in that moment? I think specifically that dinner time I can, or yeah, like the hour before dinner time, I can totally relate to that. So there's not much we can do in those high energy situations, like we can't make extreme changes, right? Like dinner still needs to be made. Kids still needs to be watched. Kids still need to be cared for. Right. But we can take a good look at kind of edit what's going on in that hour of the day. So maybe list out the demands that you have, like dinner has to be made. Kids homework has to be done. Kids have to be careful. Like kind of go through and itemize what it looks like for your situation specifically, and then see which ones we can cut. Because so often we kind of just get into the rhythm and routine of things like, oh, I always do this this way. But with families, especially of young kids, kids are changing and evolving and developing so rapidly that we can get stuck in an old pattern well after it's benefiting our family. Mm -hmm. So for example, like what could we take out? Do we need to be in the kitchen prepping for an hour before dinner? Could we do some of that in the morning? Like, could we do it at 10 a.m.? And take off some of those demands during that time of the day when our emotional capacity is just lower because it just is. So reduce some of those demands and then also build up some of your resources. So if you don't have another adult in the house at that time, a lot of us are doing that hour solo. If you do have another adult, absolutely utilize them. But if you don't, then think about 
what are the resources you could pull in? So I remember what, before I had kids, I was given the advice, never use the TV as a babysitter. And I was like, that sounds beautiful. I will do that. Then I became a mom and I'm like, okay, no, opposite. <laughs> I will only be using the TV as a babysitter. So I intentionally use screen time for my kids and they're young enough that this still works. I use it to benefit me. So I will hold them off all day. I'm like, how, how long can we make it without screens? And then I will pull it in when I need it. So I, for, for my cousin, she works night shifts. She needs that screen time first thing in the morning so that she can extend her sleep a little bit. So she specifically and strategically uses screen time in the mornings to give her extra rest, right? And I strategically plan screen time to be right around when I'm trying to prep dinner so that my kids are occupied and they're taken care of so that I have more resources. They become like the screens become the babysitter, right? Yes. Uh, this is what I'm all about. Intentionally using screens to benefit to really to, to help your family live more aligned with your values. Yeah, for sure. And another little tiny way, I'm not, not sure if this one would fall under increasing resources or reducing demands, but I, I usually go to my phone to look at the recipe, right? which just doesn't even really make sense because your phone is so tiny and you're trying to read this recipe. It always turns off when you're like trying to go back. And your hands are all covered in dough and you're like, so it's it's a super practical tip, but it literally took me years to figure out, like, just print the recipe, just print it off. If you don't want to keep, like, I only use these 10. If you want something new every day, for sure, do that. Find it on your phone, but then print it. Because I've been starting to pull my laptop into the kitchen and just having a bigger screen. And yeah, it's not as easy to get distracted on there. Yeah. Yeah. And especially, I mean, as your kids get older, they're going to get annoyed with your phone usage. Right. And so when they walk in and you're like on your phone, you're like, mom, why are you on your phone? You're supposed to be making dinner. I'm like, I am making dinner recipes. Yeah. On phone. But for them, like they don't have the context, right. Of what you're doing. So making it really visible for your kids, make it really obvious for everyone in the room. This is how I'm using my device. That's a great principle for every time of your life, but especially during that crazy dinner hour. That's helpful. So the last one is boredom. So turning to social media when we're bored. So this is almost the exact opposite of the problem we just talked about. So during their time, we're overstimulated, but other times of our day, we can be understimulated. So in this case, our emotions are telling us that we need more stimulation. And this isn't necessarily a bad thing because adult brains are different than kid brains, right? Adult brains are not going to be engaged by the same things that children's brains are. And that's totally normal, but we have options. So when I'm having these moments, I will either add some stimulation. So that might look like turning on some music or listening to an audiobook or a podcast and either broadcast it through the house on my Alexa or a speaker or just in an AirPod in my ear. And other times I'll just zoom in and engage. So just being more present with the current stimulation that I have. I think one of the side effects of having something that's so highly stimulating being our phones all the time is that our baseline for what stimulates us has kind of been raised. Mm. So it's no longer stimulating enough just to sit in a room with our kids when they're playing on the floor. Like that isn't enough for us. So being able to zoom in and really engage with the stimulation that you do have. So one practical way you can try this is going through your five senses. And this is a tool that I see shared a lot for dealing with anxiety and it's incredible, but you can also use it when you're not feeling super anxious, like maybe when you're just feeling bored. So like, what are five things that you can see? And this can be so fun when you're with your kids too, because you can zoom in and really see them in ways that we usually don't. Because usually we're so busy taking care of them that it's just like, okay, put your shoes on, go to the bathroom. Like 
the general needs were taken care of, but like, when's the last time that you actually really looked into your child's eyes, like really looked at their eyes and just totally took them in and absorbed them when they're telling you this like ridiculous story or when they're explaining like the Lego build to you, like soaking in the freckles on your child's face is just like the most magical thing. And you can just sit in that moment and be like, like I made that human. Like what even is this life? This is so bizarre. And just coming back to really the true magic that is in those tiny little moments without anything happening. I love that concept of using, cause yeah, I totally use that, that mindfulness practice of like finding a number, a certain number of things for each cent for anxiety. But I love that idea of using it for, for boredom. It's almost even better for boredom. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I first did this when I found myself taking way too many photos of my kids. And it was getting to the point where like, I was missing out on the moment and I wasn't even making memories in the moment. Cause I was so busy trying to document it. Right. I was like, Oh, we got to get this angle. We got to do this. And I would look back on those pictures. I'm like, Oh, those are beautiful pictures, but I don't remember how I felt in that moment. I mean, I remember what we did, but like, I don't remember being there. Mm-hmm. And so I started doing like, as part of a tech Sabbath thing, I would just not take pictures during cool. certain times of the day or for like a whole day. And I swear, like the lighting was always the best and they were always the cutest when it was during one of those, I'm not taking pictures time, but I remember those moments so much more than I did. If I would have been able to actually physically document it with a camera, like I can think back to specific tech Sabbath days where I was like, Oh yeah, we were at the park and the sun was going down and there was, you know, the little flutters in the sky. And I remember seeing their face and it was just like this most magical moment. And I didn't document it, but I have like that mental picture taken. We can do that. Just the little everyday moments too. I really love that concept because I think that that specific example of taking pictures, like I kind of go back and forth with that. We're like, yeah, how much do I want to be taking pictures of my kids? Because I do like looking back and seeing those and how much do I want to just be with them and enjoy them? And like you say, like you can still remember them and you'll probably remember that even more when you don't take a picture. And so there is balance there, right? Like I do pictures of my kids, but, but yeah, I like that idea of like choosing specific days or times to to just put your phone away, not have that even available. Or one other practical tip you could try is if you want to document that moment, do it, but do it in a way that doesn't involve your tech. So Mm -hmm. go old school and like, write it down in like your journal or on a piece of paper, like describe. And this again, like adding some stimulation, like it's giving you a little bit of a challenge, right? Like how would I describe this scene to somebody who's not here? Like if I wanted to tell my spouse about it when they got home, like, oh, the kids did the cutest thing today. Like, what if you couldn't tell them? And what if you couldn't just snap a picture? What if you had to like write it down? Mm-hmm. And for people who hate writing, they're like, oh, I could never. But for those of us who maybe did enjoy writing, that can be a great way to kind of add just that little bit of challenge for your brain so that you can stay engaged, stay involved, stay on task more or less, but have a little bit more something to focus on so that you're not bored. That's a really cool idea. It makes me think I'm totally going to butcher this. I should have looked this up, but I didn't know it'd come to my mind, but like there's some book or some story about, I think it was someone in a prison camp and the way that they were able to endure that awful experience was they would imagine themselves in the future like telling their family about this experience and telling them what they learned from it. And obviously this is like a little bit different, but even just like in your mind, when you're having like a hard moment or you're having a really, I don't know, 
fun moment with your kids, just imagining in your mind how you would tell about this experience to your spouse or to a family member or friend or something. Yeah, definitely. And the flip side of that is sometimes I use my phone to give myself that space. So especially like if my kids are just losing it, melting down, like no one can deal house is a wreck. I actually have footage of my two oldest when they were babies and I would just like pan the room, like just as like a silent video, like they're screaming, everything's a mess, like kitchen timers going off. And part of me did it as like a little bit of like resentment, spiteful, like, I hope my husband understands how glamorous my life is right now. And I would like actually show it to him when I get home. But what was funny is I would record in the moment thinking like, oh, this is so unfair and unjust. And like, this is miserable. But then by the time he got home and I would show it to him, like, it was funny. Right. I'm like, oh, look at this. Yeah. ridiculous moment. So sometimes using your phone, especially in that camera compatibility mode is a great way to give yourself a little bit of distance. Like, what does my life look like? If I zoomed out, if I was just an observer in my life right now, I was off in the corner watching the scene unfold. How would it be different? Hmm. And just that little bit of space can kind of help you regulate and realize what emotions you're feeling. Realize that like, it's not that big of a deal. It's not the end of the world. It's a strong emotion, but it's coming from your body. So you can totally handle it because your body's creating it. So yeah, again, that intentional use of screens, using it to kind of zoom out and just see be the an broader observer instead of be like, so yeah. in these, yeah. this emotional experience. Yeah. And it can keep your kids alive too, because if they've just like totally wrecked something, thrown a baseball through the TV or whatever, like document it first, then discipline. That's one piece of advice my grandma gave me that I absolutely love is document it first, then address it because <laughs> you're like, gonna have proof and you're going to laugh about it too. Yeah. To be able to laugh about it later. These are great tips. This has been amazing. Do you want to do a quick recap of Yeah. So what we covered today is first, what we usually do instead of feeling emotions and that's resisting or reacting or avoiding and why that doesn't work. It's because it's not actually addressing the core problem. It's just throwing a bandaid on it. But what we should do instead is learn how to feel our emotions and process our emotions because those emotions are giving us the real valuable information of what's actually going on for us, the real problem. So if we're silencing them, we're never going to be able to solve for it. And We shared a lot of practical tips of how you can do that in the moment, how to tune into your body, realize what you're feeling and make adjustments for that. But you can also practice this when you're not in the height of a crazy moment. Like you can set aside time in the mornings or in the evenings, whenever you're winding down to practice feeling your emotions and just be really aware of what does it feel like physically in your body? What is, what does overwhelm feel like? What does stress feel like? What does joy feel like? And if we can kind of identify those better, then we're going to feel like we have more power over them because we understand them. We know what they feel like. We can anticipate what it's going to be like. So you can practice processing your emotions in the moment, but you can also do it when you're not in a moment where that emotion is coming up. And then finally, we talked about some practical ways to do that instead of turning to social media that are more effective and there are healthier options, but also some intentional times of when we can pull in our phones to support our emotional health. Which is such a cool concept to me that yeah, yeah, sometimes, yeah, just better ways to use the phone as a tool to help you instead of to, to add to whatever uncomfortable emotion that we're, we're feeling. And as you've been talking today, it's reminded me of this analogy that I heard that with like an ocean wave, how 
when you're kind of scared of the wave and you're like trying to stay above it and it just, you end up just getting salt water up your nose and you're mm-hmm. it, basically it takes over you. But if you can just dive into the wave, then you can come up on, on yeah. top of go through the wave. And so you may have that feeling. I think we all have that, that, that desire to avoid the emotion or to resist or to react to it, whatever, you know, to doggy paddle and stay above the wave. Yeah. You end up just getting, crashed it just throws us around but if we're able to just dive in and really like feel those uncomfortable emotions with the really practical tips that you shared those were awesome then that's that's what's going to actually help us to to come out on top yeah and it makes the good moments that much better like this is the full human experience right like we wouldn't want to take away all the negative emotions because then we wouldn't have any context for the good ones. So really being willing to feel and sit in and truly experience all those negative emotions. It's just the other side of the coin to being able to really feel and experience and enjoy the positive ones. Absolutely. If you want to hear me talk about it more, I guess you could come over and find me on my Instagram at Leslie Alder coach. And then I also have a website, lesliealder.com where I have a blog um, where I talk about this stuff all the time. So if you want more mindset flips or tips for emotional regulation or being able to look at your thoughts from a wider view and go find me there. Awesome. So at Leslie Alder coach is your Instagram. And then the website is lessealdercoach.com. Just lessealder.com. Lessealder.com. Okay. And then I'll make sure to link to both of those in the show notes. So people yeah. can do the to find you and benefit from your awesome perspective. And I love that you don't only like understand the principles, but you give really practical solutions too. Cause that's, yeah, that's what we need. Both sides for sure. And if you want a little bit more too, I have a free video training that you can go grab. It's called cancel your chaos and clutter. And I do that exactly. So I give you both the mindset and the practical tips. And I teach you the three things that you can try today to reclaim your physical and mental space. I believe we should stop focusing on the negative aspects of screens and start using them as tools to support our values. We are the first generation learning to navigate this media-saturated society, and it is not easy. You don't have to be perfect, but as you are mindful, technology can be a tool to help you thrive. We are in this together as we figure out how to live a present, intentional life in this world consumed by screens. If you appreciated this podcast, would you make sure to leave a review and subscribe? I'm so glad you could be here today and I'll see you next week.